Hey everybody, welcome to Sidelines Sports. And today I'm joined here by Ben and Alex. Hello guys. Hello. Hey, it's been a big week for, week for the Celtics this week. Um, they just got back to their season. We're going to talk about that later. But first, Ben, would you like to give us, now that sports are back, we can do this. Would you like to give us your rundown of scores since last Thursday when we recorded? Give yeah. us some exciting games. So I'm going to say the top three scores for each sport in the past week. And... I'm going to start with base, uh, baseball, and um, the Red Sox haven't been doing great, and the Yankees just destroyed them 5-1 last Friday, and I believe they might have beaten them again before, but the Mariners and the Angels battled out in a really close one. The Mariners came out on top 7-6 last Wednesday, and then the third game I chose was the Athletics versus the Mariners, and the Athletics just destroyed the Mariners, Mariners blowing out them 11-1 to last Monday, so some pretty good games in um, baseball, and now I'm going to move on to the NHL with the Bruins narrowly losing, or yeah, in a game versus the Lightning, they lost three to two last Wednesday. Um, it was tied for most of it, but then the Lightning pulled away at the end. I would also like to mention that game made the Lightning lose the first seed in the playoffs. So that's just no, that's not it good. made the Bruins lose first seed. In the I mean, yeah, the Bruins is what I meant, but um, yeah, continue, Ben. But very good game last last Monday between the Lightning and the Capitals, it went all the way to a shootout. And the Lightning pulled out 3-2. to two. So that would have been a great game to watch. And then lastly, for those who are fans of the Canadian hockey teams, the Canadians pulled out a win against the Penguins in overtime last Saturday, 3-2. to two. So those are the games for the NHL. And lastly, I'm going to share a few games with the NBA. On opening night, it was a great first day with close games between the Jazz and the Pelicans and the Clippers narrowly winning by two, 103-101 against the Clippers. And in addition to that, just... Days later, the Rockets pulled out a great win against the Bucks. They played great defense against Giannis at the end, and the Rockets pulled away. And then lastly, Devin Booker had a great game against the Clippers, and he hit the game winner to give them the 117-115 win. So overall... Yeah, actually, with that game winner, I just want to point that out. Uh, Booker hit that double coverage, and last year he made a whole big thing when he was playing pickup with uh, Joe Kim Noah about how like he didn't want to be double covered. And I think it's just ironic that he hit that shot over two of the best defenders in the NBA, and Paul yeah. George, Kawhi Leonard. Okay. And it's been a great week overall in terms of sports. There's been many other great games, but these are just the top ones. So, um, yeah. 
I don't remember if you mentioned this one, but I was like quickly mention that the the Nets beat the Bucks. I mean, they they yeah. they sat out their stars for a lot of the game, but still, that's yeah. Nets one, Bucks nothing. Okay. And yeah, the uh, the Rockets were actually down at the uh, Disney pool giving like other teams tips on how to beat the Bucks. <laughs> you know, just like chatting. Try. I Harden hates Giannis to passion. Absolutely oh. hates him. Well, now, yeah, at at the time of this, um, us recording this um, episode, the Heat are, I I believe, currently beating up on the Bucks as well. So, that, that's uh, here. no, the Bucks pulled it out at the end. Oh, they Heat did. Oh, yeah, big game from Giannis and Chris Middleton. Well, I guess the Bucks. Uh, no, it's. Well, we'll talk about this later. Now that the game went final, but I guess the Bucks can beat the Heat, but the Celtics apparently can't. Without Jimmy Butler, I think the Heat also lost Gordon Dragic. But um, this, this is actually pretty good for the Celtics because it puts the Heat another game back. That's good for yeah. the Celtics, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's move on to our next segment. Alex wants to quickly talk about the refing this week. Now that sports are back, the players are a little rusty, but maybe the refs are too. What do you think, Alex? The refereeing in the Celtics' first two games, absolute jokes. Giannis had like a solid seven fouls at least in that game. And I think it just it's completely inexcusable because they were both blatant calls. There's obviously a charge. Smart had his feet set outside the circle. You're not know, charged against him. And he, he punched Daniel Tice in in the gut and it wasn't called. So I, I think it's it's completely inexcusable by these NBA referees. And then when we were playing the Trailblazers a couple days later, Tatum got called in a backcourt that almost sold us the game. And he was clearly behind the line. And Gorda was also over the line when he received the pass. So it was a completely terrible call by those referees. I I, just, I cannot deal with that anymore. If we're gonna keep if we're gonna be losing games and losing spots and seating just because the referees are bad. I got a hot take right here. So the NBA wants to make the new season now that it's back again as exciting as possible. And they want to reach a wider audience. And everyone seems to relate to the big star year by year, right? Whether it's Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or in the NBA's case, now it's Giannis. They want to get Giannis as far into the playoffs as possible is what I'm wondering, right? So maybe they maybe they told the refs to not call if Giannis is about to foul out because they get their views on the games because people want to see Giannis in the game, right? That's what That reaches a much larger audience when you, get, when you keep Giannis in the game. So I think that could have played a factor into it. I'm not saying that they're fixing the games, but um, the, when you don't foul out a guy like Giannis, it certainly makes a difference. Yeah, the NBA historically has made controversial calls to keep their marketable stars in game. You see it a lot with LeBron. You see it a lot with like guys like Harden and you know Giannis now too. You know they don't foul out a lot, but they probably deserve to more than they should. Well. Also, this isn't an explanation for every call, but I think there's some plays where the refs can't review it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that that's for every play, but that does happen. So if they make mistake uh, a mistake, then they kind of got to live with it. If they can't, well, yeah, I think it. the NBA should say last two minutes of each half, anything is reviewable. It's fair game. If the refs think. You know, maybe we made a bad call on that. They should be able to go back and look at it. Because, like, you have games blown almost on backcourt calls, and that's not something that's reviewable now. 
Yeah, another thing I noticed, we'll get to more of the Celtics talk later, but I feel like just from watching the Celtics games, that the players are also fouling a lot more, and the refs are calling those. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and the reason to that is because before the um, season got shut down, way back in the early spring, the players weren't jumping up as much to contest jump shots. Now they're contesting every single shot just because they haven't played in a while. And by doing that, they're just fouling a lot more. So once the players learn to stop fouling jump shots, then the foul, then the free throw attempts and the foul calls will go down. Yeah. Um, okay. I think that is it for our ref segment. Thank you, Alex. But um, our next segment, I have this titled The Red Sox Suck. And um, I think more specifically, it's the pitching that's been lacking. But also there's another there's a couple other things that I'll get to after we talk about the pitching. So let's start off. We didn't get to talk about this last week because we were going a bit late on our podcast talking about other stuff. But um what do you guys think about the Red Sox pitching just looking in for the last first couple of games? Alex. Oh, it's been absolutely horrendous. I mean, like the starters have been bad. The bullpen has been even worse. You know, you used to have guys like Matt Barnes completely fell off you know you could count on a shutout two wings from him maybe even like six strikeouts not anymore matt barnes he's just, he doesn't have it anymore i think the red Sox need to absolutely tear down this rotation and rebuild their bullpen and if they want to be able to do anything in the near future yeah i tell you um i look okay i don't think nathan of all is a, good, a great pitcher i said i would rather david price in him i think maybe one or two episodes ago but i look forward to nathan of night now you know <laughs> <laughs> I think they've won like they've won two or three games this year. I think most. I think they've all been with like Nathan Avaldi as the starting pitcher. But um, when you don't have Nathan Avaldi out there, there are game, there are names that I I I don't remember now because there's just so random scrubs. And that was like okay two years ago when our pitching rotation was our starting pitching rotation was really good with Price um sale sales out for the rest of the year. And um well, well actually I have another news story I'll get to after this but. Now it's just so terrible that, that the bullpen is even worse than the starters, which is terrible. And we still don't have a closer that we can use. So, um, Ben, do you have anything to say about the pitching rotation? Well, it's really hard to win a game without good pitching. I think that's pretty obvious. But, yeah, um, I don't have anything else to say other than it's just not been good. Okay. Yeah, like I the Red Sox. Why? Maybe it's just not good pitchers, but yeah. Well, yeah, the Red Sox had debatably the best rotation in baseball. We had Sale coming in at number one. We had Price two, Porcello three. We had Erod at four, and then we had like Stephen Wright at five. And that that lineup you could barely score five runs against in the five day um, rotation. And now you can get five runs in an inning against guys like Ryan Weber. You know. Yeah, but it's absolutely disgraceful. I would just like to clarify something. Is Chris Sale up for the year this year? We did a story on um, this. I November. haven't seen him yet. I'll check on that. I believe he might be out. I just think that Sale probably won't want to come back and risk another injury. Yeah, let's um, let's assume that Sale's going to be out for the most of the year. But there's a story coming in, right? I don't know if you guys have seen this yet. Speaking of speaking of Erod, um, Eduardo Rodriguez is out of the season for good. He had the coronavirus, mm-hmm. as we heard, right? And he developed some sort of um, disease in his – I think it was in his heart. I couldn't explain it to oh. you very well, 
But it shows maybe we, we laughed at Tony Snell for saying that he couldn't get hurt from the coronavirus. But I guess little did we know that some uh, some people it has an effect like this. And now I guess the bad pitching rotation gets worse. And when we were expecting Erod back in a couple weeks, now we're going to get him back next year. When who knows how bad the team is going to be till then? Well, this could also obviously affect the team as the whole. If he got the virus, then other people could get it too, and that could lead to more games, you know, being canceled or postponed. No, I don't think that um, they test the players quite frequently on the Red Sox. Okay. I don't think that anyone else got the virus because when they tested okay. him positive, I think it was they were still kind of in the spring training phase, and he just never came back. But that's something that oh, is, okay. Okay. it. I wouldn't say it's life threatening for someone who's in pretty good shape like him. Um, but it certainly you can't you can't move around as fast as you could. It's dangerous, I guess. It's probably not gonna it's not gonna kill him if he just sits out like he is now. Though he he should be fine by next season. He should be pitching just fine. But Tony Snell, I guess he was right. That has some sort of a long term effect on you sometimes when you get the coronavirus. So apologies to Tony Snell for laughing at him. But still, still kind of sounded like kind of a clown. But anyways, the pitching is bad, right? But we are lacking development from young stars as well, such as Andrew Benintendi, who I think has been the most notable. Um, well, it's not really a decline, a decline, but it's more of a just standing still, you know? I mean, when we were looking at him two years ago, everyone was like, this kid's going to be great. And then the year after that, he t- he was about the same numbers. This kid's awesome, right? Last year... He took a bit of a step back, but people still had high hope for him. This was supposed to be the year that Andrew Benintendi really came into himself and took over the Red Sox, um, the Red Sox batting order where Mookie used to stand at the number one spot. But so far, he's putting up very average numbers, and um, I can't say that I'm very impressed by him. Alex, if you think, what do you think about Andrew Benintendi this year? Do we think we're going to see? And is this just a slump at the beginning of the year? Or is he actually not as good as we thought he was? Because he's not a kid anymore. He's a player now, and we need. To, he has high expectations. I think it's just the fact that they took, you know, four months off and then came back and not knowing if they were going to be back for the full season. I think it really rattles the guy. And Benny's he's still 22, 23. He's very young. So I think that it's really just rattled him. Maybe once he gets adjusted to this, he can come back. But I think it's just going to be a throwaway season for him, honestly. And for the Sox as a whole, you know, we haven't seen the same production from guys like Bogey or Devers, Devers either. I mean, Bogart's played, had one amazing game against the Yankees, but it's kind of just disappeared since. And Devers has done basically nothing this year. So the Red Sox offense has not been looking good. I have high hope for Devers. Um, he's obviously taking a step up this year, but he's still, he's been in the league less than Benintendi has, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it's the same, but I still feel like there's still hope for Devers. I've kind of, I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of losing hope for Andrew Benintendi. Ben, do you? What do you think about Andrew yeah. Benintendi? Is he taking a step up? Is he going? To, is he going to take a step up, or is he just going to stay where he is now? Well, I don't think it's gonna get much better because to build off what Alex said about him being rattled, this whole situation has been hard for many, you know, obviously players to handle, and I think the better ones are sort of going to get by. But him, who's just kind of going up in the league, it's really going to be a setback for him. And I think the only chance that he's going to get better is next year, once everyone has gotten over this virus. 
Yeah, but um, moving on from that, there is one good thing for the Red Sox this year, and it's kind of unexpected. I don't expect it to win them a championship, but um, Christian Vasquez, he is now top five in the league in home runs. I believe he has four or five right now, and he's sitting at the number four spot right now in the league, tied with a couple other people, I believe. But I feel like there's always a couple weeks in the season where that guy gets really hot and hits like six home runs in a row. And he's just up on the charts for a while. Do you guys think that this is real or no? Because I don't think it's real. I mean, Vasquez has always been a kind of streaky hitter. It's better than what we had in the past, like Sandy Leo. And I remember he'd get like three hits in a game. We're all like, oh, look, Sandy Leo's offense is back. And then he went like over for his next 30 and the next at-bats. I think Vasquez, he has the potential to become a lesser Mike Piazza. I think that would be a ceiling. As an offensive catcher, I mean, he's already a great defensive catcher. So you, you could see a big output from him, but I, I don't see him really doing that. I think it's kind of streaks. I mean, a lot of in baseball, the way I see it, anyone in baseball can hit a home run at any time, right? It just matters. It just depends on what kind of pitch they throw at you. So um, most of the time, for the most part in the MLB, catchers aren't known for hitting home run for hitting home runs frequently, right? So if an MLB player gets a pitch that he likes. I believe he can hit out of the park, and maybe he's just gotten a lot of those pitches lately. He can hit out of the park. Well, plus, every player has their ups and their downs, and I think maybe he's just having an up, and then eventually he's going to go back to normal. And then maybe possibly he'll go down, but every player has their streak at some point. Okay, I have been paying very, paying very close attention, but how is J.D. Martinez doing this year for the Red Sox? Is he hitting home runs like he was a couple years ago, or is he taking a step yeah, down? J.D. has been actually hitting out of the two spot a lot, and he's been playing pretty well for a guy who's had to transition from being the Sox cleanup hitter to one of their top two in their uh, lineup. So I've been presently surprised by him, honestly. Yeah, um, before we um, move on, I just want to check. How is Mookie Betts doing this year, Alex? Can you tell us that? Do we know? Uh, Mookie has been playing. It's been okay. He's not been hitting amazing. It's less than Mookie's standards. But, you know, when he really gets going in a game, he gets going. You know, I think we saw that a lot in Boston. And I think if he can replicate what he did in Boston with what he does in L.A., he will be absolutely unstoppable. Well, the thing is, we only saw that one season really of unstoppable Mookie where he won MVP and the rest of them have been good have been good to like above average, right? So I wonder if they that could be a potential bust signing. I'm just saying. If he not if he doesn't can't come back to what he was with the Red Sox, I'm wondering if it was really worth the money that he got. Well um I think it's just gonna take him a year to adjust to the new team and a new city in a new place in maybe last year he'll i mean next year he'll get his footing back and he'll be much better yeah okay we have another debate topic this week in this week there was the biggest problem in the nba so far seems to be stopping Giannis. even though the bucks haven't been doing so hot lately against the nets Giannis was sitting out in that game but when you watch a game like Celtics versus Bucks, Giannis really makes a difference in the game, you know? So 
we've all thought of ways we, that we can stop that we think that would work to stop Giannis on def- defensively. What do you guys think that we you could the Celtics could do a team like the Celtics could do to stop Giannis? All right, so I I have two different methods here. I have my what I hope would work and what would actually work. So what I would hope would work would be face guard him with a guard, you know, throw him up top and kind of it really pains me to say this, but run a one three one. I had to do it all year for my travel basketball team. I hated it, but I think it might be effective against a guy like Giannis because just throw a guard in his face and then you know let everyone kind of drift around the perimeter and make sure they can still clog up the paint. I think that would work. The only problem is that it it leaves good outside shooters like the Bucks have wide open if the defender sags off too much. So I think with with really good wing defenders, you could pull it off, but it wouldn't work amazing if you don't have two high-level wing defenders on the wings. And now the strategy that would actually work, injure them. That, that, that's the only thing you can do. Go full of Zaza Pachulia in the Western Conference semis. It's the only thing that's going to work. You know, go step on Kawhi Leonard's foot. <laughs> like, is is there really any other way that you can stop a player that's been as dominant as Giannis has been? Like, you can say, oh, yeah, just force him outside. Giannis can still be dribble, even if your name's Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Um, so I, I, I think that's the only way you can stop him. When there's, when there's a player like Giannis, who is the NBA's centerpiece at this point, it used to be LeBron, some other players, right? But at this point, I think the, the NBA wants to focus all their talent at Giannis. You can't hurt someone like that. Like when they hurt Kawhi Leonard, I don't remember if Zazlak Pachulia got fined, but if you step on um, Giannis's foot, that's like a f- $5 million fine right there. So that just ruins the NBA playoffs for the NBA. They're making a lot less money. But about the 1 3 1, which I'm going to take seriously here, um, I think that putting a guard on him at the top is the right way to go. But my strategy here, this is something that. Me and Ben were on the same basketball team. Our basketball team, we did this. You put a guy on the elbow, a guy on the other elbow, a guy on the block, a guy on the block, kind of playing a zone there. They can defend the wings and the they can defend the wings and the corner threes, right? Because that's where the Bucks um, shooting goes in. But then you put a guy like a Marcus Smart or maybe Brown on him, right? And they can just get in his face, right? If he tries to drive into the paint, you can collapse on him. If he kicks it out. You can you still have the wing you still have the people at the top of the elbows who can cover the wings in the corners, so I think that that would be an effective strategy. It's like a a box. It's like a two two, but with one guard going off uh, going off to guard him at all costs. What do you think of that? I think that is definitely a possibility. Nothing else. That's, no, that's all you have to say. No. Well, I have an idea. Okay, then. Tell us your idea. Now, this idea is not like a real like formation. But I was thinking what they could do is put their best defender that's like, you know, not short on him. They put him on Giannis at, at the top or wherever he is. They make sure that there's a big guy. Or, well, someone down the hoop or down by the hoop to help out. And then they can have everybody on the sides trap him if he tries to post it up. But I guess the problem is he's tall, so he can just kick it out. But it's it's just going to take a lot of quick wing guards to close out the shooters. 
But I think if, if they just put one really good person on him and then have backup, they'll be able to slow him down. Not stop him, but slow him down from, you know, getting like 30, 40 points. And then from there, they might have a chance of winning. Okay, Ben, I agree with you there. I think that if you can make Giannis kick it out to the three-point shooters with the Bucks having George Hill and some other guys in their team, I think that's how you're going to win the game. I mean, if George Hill beats the Celtics, I think that's purely just bad luck. But if we, what we're talking about here is how to stop Giannis. That would certainly s- slow down Giannis's production. It obviously wouldn't shut him out completely because you can't, you just can't do that to a guy like Giannis. But um, if you can make him kick it out to George Hill sometimes, maybe at least contest George Hill sometimes, then I think you could see a significant drop off in the points that the Bucks are scoring. Well, and if Giannis just goes in and and gets an and one. Even though he's a bad free throw shooter, he's still going to make it, and then it's basically a three pointer. Well, maybe maybe you could do it what Alex says, right? And then just foul him really hard, right? So then he's scared to try to get the end ones. That could work. Or just like, and you know, um, if they leave him open on the three point line, then he'll miss. Travis, how do you foul Giannis hard without getting a flagrant? How can you scare? One of the bulkiest guys in the league. You put who, who would be off to really foul Giannis like that? You put like who, who's our who's our like biggest guy like height and weight probably like who Robert Williams right? Yeah, like Robert. Taco Taco Ta- Taco yes Taco. Giant. You have Taco. <laughs> you put Taco in the paint right for one possession, and then you just have him absolutely destroy Giannis when he drives in right. Taco's gonna be like. Giannis is going to be like, hey, Taco, want to fight? And then Taco's just going to stare down at him, and Giannis will be terrified. That is the secret weapon. For it will only work for the Celtics, but the key is you just put a big guy in the paint, slap Giannis in the face, so he's terrified. Uh, okay. See, I don't think Taco is that intimidating because no. he's like a stick. You know, he's 7'7", seven, seven, he's 3'10", but he has no muscle so, whatsoever. I think, like, maybe, like, Rob will... Or NS Cancer would work better, but we don't have like the Bill Lampier enforcer type of the eighties where you could really scare a star like they did with Jordan. That's just it's not gonna work no, in today's game. I don't think I understand. You could only do this with Taco Fall. It wouldn't work with anyone else. Because okay, nice if Giannis picks a fight yeah, exactly. if Giannis picks a fight with Taco, he will be universally hated. You can't pick a fight with Taco. It's against the rule of the game. People That's love a good point. You you could get like you get like a death lineup of like Taco, Michael Beasley, J.R. Smith, Alex Caruso, and like Isaac Bonga, and or just go tr- try to fight one of these guys. There'll be like international backlash, you know, from the NBA community. <laughs> okay, I think that my strategy is the way to go. Just have Taco in the paint and slap you in the face. Okay, let's move on. It was a big week for the Celtics. There was a lot of ups and downs. I'm still unsure what I think of the Celtics so far this year, but overall, just give me a um, just give me a couple word answer. Are, how, what do you guys think about the Celtics so far this year in the first couple of games? Good. What? Not great. I think they could have won games that they lost. I think Tatum. It took him a while to get back, obviously, but. I think now he's somewhat there. Not not obviously back to how he played in February, but back to how he played at like 
that started the last season. And I think Hayward is the key if, if, if they're going to win more games. Well, it could be a problem because he may, he may have to leave the bubble at any any day. But, um, Alex, what do you think about oh, yeah. the Celtics? Well, yeah, I think that we definitely could have beat the Bucs in that game had Tatum not shot 2 for 18 and had the refs not screwed us out of it. So I think we, we've played every game and made – we've either won it or it's been extremely winnable. That gives me a lot of hope because if we can almost beat one of the best teams in the NBA when they're actually trying without our biggest star play, yeah, playing well, then I think that we could beat anyone in this league and maybe even win the finals, honestly. Okay. My biggest takeaway from this is – Except for against like the really bad teams, like the Nets that they played yesterday, that they had one of their biggest blowouts in like thirty years. I'm pretty sure it was since like the '90s, almost thirty years. Yeah, but like, yeah, Celtics had scored the most points in the game since 1992. Yeah, for the Celtics, that's crazy. But um, I was disappointed how they played against teams that they could potentially be placing in the playoffs, like the Bucks and the Heat. So the you can blame the refs in the end of the game that obviously blew it, but. What I have to say to that is they shouldn't have gone down by 20 points in the beginning if they want, like, if the Celtics don't go down by 20 points in the beginning of that game, which was, I was, I turned the TV off for, like, 20 minutes after that. I turned the TV off for a while because I thought it was, I thought it was going to be a big blowout. I turned it off for a little bit, but once I saw that they had a chance, I turned it back on in the second half. But um, if they hadn't, if they hadn't got off to such a weak start, you're looking at, like, a three, four possession lead at the end of that game. There maybe like a three possession lead at the end of that game. There, if they hadn't gone down twenty points against them, so and my takeaway against the Heat, what also disappointed me, is the Heat didn't even have Jimmy Butler, and they were still able to beat the Celtics, which is kind of disappointing. And um, what I said, you have to shut down the biggest player on the other team, and then I'd allow the three point shooters to try and beat us. Well, Jimmy Butler wasn't in the game. He's obviously their biggest scorer in the paint, out of the paint, everywhere, right? But um, they also have a lot of three-pointers around him. Bam out of bio. Uh, the Celtics' big men are kind of weak. He still put up good good numbers. Wasn't anything insane. But basically, the three-point shooters beat us to the, beat us that game. And also, they blew a 20-point lead against the Trailblazers, which was disappointing. Um, Alex, what did you think about the Bucks? I mean, uh, Ben, what did you think about the Bucks game? Bucks game. Um... I think sometimes the Celtics have a hard time getting off to a good start, and then they put themselves in a tough position to come back and win the game. So I think if they can just – and I think also at the start, the Bucks were playing with more intensity, and the Celtics just didn't match the intensity at the beginning. But if they can make sure that they do that from start to finish – then they will be beating teams like the Bucks, and they will be beating teams like the Heat and even teams like the Clippers and Lakers if, if they get to the finals, obviously. But I think it all comes down to them starting with intensity. Okay. And they didn't do that versus the Bucks. What did you – what did Alex, what did you think about the Heat game? Hello, Alex? I mean, I think it showed that – that the Celtics have a really big weakness against teams that can really shoot the three-point ball and then have a really good big man. I think that Bam Adebayo is definitely one of the best in the league, and I think that his passing 
it wasn't only like his first pass, but the pass made afterwards really exposed the Celtics defense and how much we need a interior threat that can face guard Bam and not have to put like two defenders on him. Yeah, that was definitely a disappointing game. I think it obviously exposed the weakness when you have a guy like Bam Adebayo. If you have Al Horford on on him, Al Horford from like not the now Al Horford, the Al Horford from like three, four years ago, who can go up against guys like Embiid and in this case probably Bam Adebayo, he's not going to score the extra 20 points that the Heat need to beat the Celtics. He may score more like 10 or like 12 or something like that. And that they can shut down a lot of his game, which was scoring. He had 21 points in that game. And I believe he was the leading scorer for the Heat. So, Ben, what do you think about the Heat game? Well, I think going going back to having a good defend, uh, good defender, uh, Cantor is great offensively, but defensively he's not there. And I think that was a real challenge, obviously, for the Celtics in that game. And I think um, everyone, even us, underestimated how good the Heat are at shooting. Like, was it... Duncan Robinson, was that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard of him before, and then he just lit us up. And and I think the Celtics just weren't prepared for how good they would shoot. Yeah, usually what I would say is I allow the teams to shoot the three-point shot because I don't believe that because the three-point shot's obviously harder for them to make. I think if they can at least contest the shots, if, if they can at least contest the shots, then that's going to take off the Heat's points. I would usually let the three-point shooters try and take over the game because I don't feel like they would. But in this case, the Celtics really didn't. They actually, like Alex said, the pass after, like, Bam Adebayo would make a pass outside and then make another pass, and the three-point shot would be open. They kept just getting open threes against the Celtics, which was not good. I think in a, in a case like that, a defense who should play would be a, I want to say, a, it would obviously take away from the, defense in the paint, but I would play a 3-2 against them just because you want to get extra coverage on the perimeter. And if you can cover every single zone, you don't got to worry about staying with your man and getting caught in a screen or something like that. So, Travis, you said that three-pointers are harder to make than two-pointers, right? Yes. For some players. So, in the NBA, we have a little spot. It's about eight feet from the basket. In any direction, you only make about 31% of your shots there. Okay, and outside, in the three-point arc, especially in the corner, they have 41% of their shots. So really, the, the three-pointer is more effective, if not even more efficient, than the mid-range and the shot anywhere from outside, like right at the rim. Well, obviously, teams like the Rockets and the Warriors from a couple of years ago have proven that, but I think that because the three-point shooters on the Heat, they have a lot of good three-point shooters, but they're not like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who you literally can't. You have to like double cover them in the three-point line, right? I think if you can test them, then that's going to be enough to make them miss maybe one or like two out of three times that they shoot the ball, right? Which in my book would be okay for them to do that, right? And um, they just didn't contest those shots after the second pass, like you said. So that was a problem. The open threes, but. As Ben said, Cantor actually did really good on offense. I don't think he had that many points because they didn't use him that much on offense, but I was impressed with Cantor's post-up moves on the Heat big men because they couldn't – Yeah, and offensive rebounds. They couldn't really find an answer for him for a couple of minutes. 
I think the problem is that the Heat didn't have Butler, so then the Celtics might have gotten overconfident thinking that that they would just win. But the but the Heat obviously came out to play and caught them off guard. Okay, what did go well for the Celtics, which I was impressed with, um, Brown and Tatum, they had over the last couple games, I guess, obviously last game they probably, I don't think they got as much points just because no one really played it. I think they still got close to 20 points each. I think Brown had the leading score in that game. But um, for the most part, except for the first game with Tatum, the Brown and Tatum combo has been going very well for the Celtics, especially with Kemba's knee that he can't play for a lot of the game. I think he's been limited to 20 or 25 minutes. I think they moved it to. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, the Celtics, they don't have a definitive superstar. But when you have guys like Brown and Tatum, who one night they could go for um, zero points, but the other one's going to pick that one up and get 30 points. And a game against the Heat, I think it was, combined, I believe they had... Was this against the Trailblazers or the Heat? You can correct me. Um, they had 60 points, I believe, combined. They each had over 30 points. I think that was against the Trailblazers, now that I think about it. Yeah. But... um. That game, when you have two superstars like that, you're going to be unstoppable. So I think that if Kemba's knee continues to be a problem for the Celtics, and it seems like it's getting better at this point, but let's say he tweaks his knee and that will put him out for that will put him out for weeks because it sounds like he has a injury on in his knee that could last for a while. And you need guys like Brown and Tatum to fill in there. And if they can each get, if they can both put up great numbers, which is like 25 points plus, then I think that can really change the game. And then you can add in Gordon Hayward when teams start to cover Tatum and Brown more, then then Hayward has a chance to make shots and get to the um get 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 to the bucket and, and find open lanes. And then yeah, I, I guess when you put all of that together, they're a hard team to beat when Everyone is playing well. Yeah, Hayward's actually had some pretty good production over the last couple of games. It's been he's been kind of quiet at teams, but he's actually been putting up some good numbers lately for the Celtics. And when he leaves, because he's probably gonna have to leave, let's not kid ourselves. His, I mean, his wife's probably gonna go into labor in the next couple of weeks, and then he said he's gonna leave then. But one attack of the Celtics are gonna like let's say it gets delayed a bit, and then the Celtics win the championship, and this Gordon Hayward has to leave or something like that because Gordon Hayward. I think they said at the beginning of the game, they said Gordon Hayward was going to have to be the difference maker. They put it on like their little, I don't remember what the advertisement was, but they had like this advertisement, like difference making matchup, and it was Gordon Hayward versus someone else. So I think that Gordon Hayward is yeah. definitely one of the difference makers for the Celtics this year, and not having him is going to suck. Okay, let's move on to one more segment, and then we have some other stuff we need to talk, cover. But um, the MLB, they've recovered actually quite nicely. From the Marlins incident, I mean, they're they're basically back, aren't they? The Marlins are they always have a couple games they had to catch up with, but this first outbreak which occurred, they had a couple staff members on other teams get it, and had to delay a couple games. But it seems like they're mostly recovered from that. So I'm not saying they're going to be able to do it for the whole season and keep quarantining these people, but it seems like they're keeping it under control. Wouldn't you guys say? Yes, no. Well, now. I, I think the the important thing is and well yes to answer your question I do think they did a decent job in getting back but now they have to make sure that that doesn't happen again 
because if it happens again, but on a slightly bigger scale, it could affect the entire league. And I think it's just important that they take extra precautions now to make sure that doesn't happen again so then everyone can continue to play. You're right, Ben. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, has actually come out and said that if something like this were to occur again, then he might be feel inclined to shut down the whole league, um, the whole league, or postpone it, which would ultimately end up in canceling it. So hopefully, there's not a big outbreak. But I guess if it's if it can be controlled like they did with the Marlins, it's fine, at least for now. But um, Alex, what did you think about the MLB and how they how they handled this? I think it's it's bad that it happened in the first place. You know, we everyone knows that they should be in a bubble. I think it's completely fairly obvious. But I think that even since the Marlins case has gone down, there's still been small pop-up cases all over the league. And if we keep seeing that, they're going to spread eventually as more teams play each other in different yeah. places. Yeah, the so NBA. I, 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 could, I could really see this league not making it all the way to the end of the regular season, honestly. Yeah, the NBA is a bubble, and I saw that they – that everyone in the league, I think, tested negative for the coronavirus. So that would mean that no one in the NBA bubble has the coronavirus right now after that round of testing. So um, let's move on to um, – I one of you guys wanted to talk about this. It seems like Ben Simmons, he is – he's out for the whole rest of the bubble with an injury, is it? What, what happened? It was his knee, I believe. Some yeah. Kind of, no, he, um, he partially dislocated his knee. It sounds like that's going to put him up for the rest of the season. Okay, I think Ben Simmons Ben Simmons is kind of overrated in my opinion. That would definitely affect the 76ers cuz he is their number one he's their number one point guard, he's a good passer. He's not going to make much of a scoring impact. He him his scoring is not going to make much of an impact, but definitely the shots he creates will make an impact. So do you guys think that this is going to take the 76ers out of the playoff mix, or can they recover from this with whatever they have now? I think this has got really hot take. It gives the Sixers a better chance. Embiid and Simmons cannot coexist. They can't. They both aren't good shooters. They cannot shoot. And so they clog up the lane, and it makes it harder for both of them to score. So when you have like just Embiid on the floor – and with no Simmons, you've got guys like Shake Bill and Tobias Harris who can both space the floor around him. And so he can get a lot more space in the paint. So I think they end up being better without Ben Simmons than they would have been with him. Well, do we have any idea what their point guard is, looks like now? Is it Alfred Payton still? I know he was on the team a while ago. Ben. Uh, who are you talking about? Um, what... Is the new point guard for the 76ers now that he's out? Do they have a suitable backup, or is that still in question? Okay. Um, I'm I'll not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Um, yeah, so yeah. Shake Milton would yeah. have been the backup point guard. Now he's starting. He's, he's a very talented player. He's their sixth man. Then Alec Burks is their backup. So they have – they're even their – Third point guard is still pretty good. You can still get started running in this league, and then they have Furkan Korkmaz and Glenn Robinson off the bench. So I th- I think they can still be very successful. Yeah. Now, Alex, you you think that they could do um, better without Simmons by giving him beaten space, but they also don't have a 
a very good, uh, a very talented passer who can set up players for open threes. And what? that could take a toll. I think Richard and Milton honestly are good enough passers yeah. where that they can make up for Simmons's lack, I think, offensively. It's not going to make up for all of it, but I think they can recover some of it, and that's all they need. They just need some of it. Cause now Embiid is going to have space in the middle to you know post up, work down there, and you know, do his moves, and he's going to score more. Yeah, but maybe some of that scoring was coming from Ben Simmons facilitating. I think Joel Embiid is obviously an elite scorer. You don't often, you don't often have a big man like him that can put up high scoring for your team. Like he is, so I think that Joel Embiid, if Joel Embiid had gone out with an injury, the 76ers would no question be out. I think this is obviously a, a big hit to the 76ers rotation, and they're going to have to find a way to recover from this, but I think ultimately they'll be able to move on from it from him, and well, I think they'll get a playoff yeah. spot. Yeah, but um, another thing to think about, if Ben Simmons doesn't come back, what does this mean for him for next year? If the whole Simmons and B thing isn't working out, like, um, could this mean that, like, if if they do better without him, would he get get traded, or would the rosters change if this doesn't work out, or if or if this works out better than when he was on the team? Yeah, there's always been a lot of, I mean, Simmons trade rumors because it doesn't seem like that he can really succeed on his own with the. 76ers, but I think those are more worried about this year with the 76ers. Yeah, obviously. I think that wraps up our episode for the week. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.